get this thing to work. Yay, it has a battery. Thank you, forever. Fix that up. All right. The bulletin uh, doesn't have the right uh, information in it because I changed in the middle of the week to a different type of sermon. Rather than a textual sermon, which is what I normally do, like I find a text in the scriptures and I draw everything from that one text, this is going to be what they call a topical sermon, which means that there will be several different texts, up, down, <laughs> several different texts, and uh, it, they will all kind of fill out what I'm trying to say. So, let's pray together and ask the Lord to make this something that's helpful, useful to you, glorifying to him. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open up the word of God together. We thank you for the brothers and the sisters in this place, people that we are one together, we are one with. We, 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 uh, with one heart and with one voice, we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we can do that together, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. And lift up your praises and, and, and meet with you and have this time with you. And we pray that as we open up your word, that you would speak to us by your spirit. Uh, there will be a lot of reading of the word, and we pray that you just open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to your people today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The pressure's off, but the mission is on. We're used to thinking in terms of either one or the other. The pressure's on. Come on, let's produce. Let's get the job done. Or, the pressure's off. You don't have to do anything. Sit and soak. Be a couch potato. It doesn't matter. So, the pressure's off, but the mission is on. So how are we going to pull that off? And that's what I hope to talk about this morning. As a church, we say and we, we proclaim in, in this uh, uh, mission statement that we uh, gave you a few weeks ago, that we are engaged in a worldwide movement of inviting the broken everywhere into a saving relationship with a loving God through Jesus Christ. That is what we want to do as a church. It's one of the things that we want to see happen. We want to see people come out of darkness and into light. We want to see people experience the joy of knowing that their sins are gone. We want to see people enjoy the fact that the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to our account so that when we face the Lord at the end of our days, that we know that we have everything that we need to stand before him covered and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, fully justified, fully everything that we need to be at that, at that moment. When we see the face of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the one who made us this way, the one who took away our sins and gave us his righteousness. We want to see that happen with the people that we love. We want to see that joy. Uh, you know, I, I read somewhere, I think it was John Piper who wrote that the, that the reason why evangelism exists is because missions doesn't. Excuse me. The reason why missions exist is because worship does not. Saying that the idea is that we want... More and more people giving honor and glory and worship to our God. And, and, and it is in him that they find their deepest satisfaction. In him, we find our purpose. In him, 
is everything that we need. We want to be able to, we want to see more and more people worshiping the Lord. And that is one reason why uh, we are called to a lifestyle of bringing the gospel to bear on the people that we love. And so how, you know, we do that by preaching the gospel. I heard recently of, um, there's this ministry on the radio. I don't know if it's still there, but it's called the White Horse Inn, headed up by a guy named Michael Horton. And so he decided to do a little experiment. He went to the Christian Booksellers Convention, and he asked one simple question. He said, he asked at least 100 people, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? You might be formulating your definition in your mind. You might be thinking, ooh, 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 I can, you know. <laughs> what is the gospel? And when he got the answers from these people who are selling books for the purpose of discipleship of the church, they were so bad that when they broadcasted the answers that these people were giving, R.C. Sproul who was a theologian, was driving his car and he had to pull over and weep. He just just couldn't stand it. He had to pull over and weep. That's not necessarily an easy question to answer. But let's all get on the same page. The gospel can be summed up in three words, really. God saves sinners. God saves sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. God made him, that is Jesus, who had never sinned, to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's radical. The gospel. So this is the good news that we have. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. So, the gospel, we believe, is the power of God and the salvation for everyone who believes. We have a mission. Michael Green, in his book called I Believe in the Holy Spirit, says that the Holy Spirit, who's also called the Comforter, does not come to make us comfortable, but to make us missionaries. We're not here for ourselves. Now, I've got to ask you, you start to feel the pressure? You start to feel the pressure? Like, oh, man, I should do this more. Bob, get off my back. Uh, you start to feel that pressure. But I've got four liberating truths from different places in the Word of God. Four liberating truths that I hope will take the pressure off, but the mission is still on. And the first liberating truth is this. You are part of... You are part of a plan. Listen to the word of God. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 has enough uh, information and, and content in it to keep us busy for the next several hours uh, every day for years. So you're going to feel like, oh, man, we, I wish we'd gone into that more deeply. But I've got to just tell you, There's one thing I want you to get out of this, that you're part of a plan. Listen to the Word of God and just open up your hearts to the reading of the Word of God. Starting with verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the creation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. In him also you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And here's the point I'm trying to make. Long before you enter the scene, long before you enter into a conversation with someone about spiritual things, Father and Son and Holy Spirit have counseled together a plan. And somehow you fit into it. That before the creation of the world, the Father has chosen to bless you. Not a nameless, faceless mass of human stuff. But you. You know. You. You, Scott. Eugene. You, George. You, particular. He says, I will bless you. You and I will give you every spiritual blessing in Christ, and I will leave nothing out of that package. You will receive everything that is in your inheritance. And Jesus Christ redeemed you with his blood and took you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. He redeemed you, he bought you back from sin to make you not your own, but belong to God now. And the Holy Spirit, before the creation of the world, determined that he would seal you and keep you as a guarantee of the inheritance that you're going to receive. And the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has been working on this thing for a long, long time. His thoughts toward you outnumber the sand. That, you know, when, when you're, you're, riding the, you're riding the subway and somebody comes right up to you and says, uh, I need some money, and you've got to make a quick decision as to whether to do something nice or to tell them to bug off or, or whatever it is that you're going to do. You don't have much time to think about it. And maybe maybe you give them, that person something, and maybe you give that person something that's, and you're very generous to that person, but still you haven't been thinking about that person for more than one and a half minutes. God the Father has been thinking about you. From before he even created the heavens and the earth. And you are part of a plan. So God's plan is to use people like you and me. We're pretty messed up sometimes. He's going to use us anyway. 
to bring the gospel to others and create more disciples of Jesus Christ. And how has that happened? I've got another scripture for you. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul opens up and talks a little bit about his um, feelings about when he first came to Corinth. And he says this, When I came to you, brothers, Corinthians, oh, let's stop here for a minute. Corinth was an uptown kind of place. Corinth was, oh, so modern. Corinth and it had, had two, kinds of, two, two main kinds of people in its population. There were the people who were the intellectuals. Tell us something new. Um, excite our philosophical thinking. Um, tell us something that we've never heard before. Make us think more deeply than we've ever thought before. And tell it to us in a very eloquent fashion or else we won't listen. And then you had other Corinthians who were not so philosophical. They were more the Charles Brown kind of, I feel like, busted loose Corinthians. They just wanted to have a good time. And, um, and so they were, uh, they, 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 you know, I'm sorry, not our Charles Brown. Another Charles Brown, the one who wrote, I feel like busted loose. <laughs> I used to confuse them with James Brown, but James Brown wrote, I feel good, not I feel like busting loose. So, um, right, okay, so I want to make that clear. I'm not talking about our, our dear brother, Charles Brown, who lives in heaven now. I'm talking about another Charles Brown. But anyway, I just feel like busting loose. I just want to feel good. I want to be satisfied with the good things in this world. And, uh, and, and I eat, and I drink, and I'm merry, for tomorrow I die, what the heck? Okay, so that's what Paul comes into. And this is what he says. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. You know, Paul's saying, I, I could have talked to you about a lot of things. I could have talked to you about my own philosophical stuff. I could have talked to you about health food. Or I could have talked to you about how I hate health food. Or I could have talked to you about politics. I could have talked to you about a lot of things, but I was determined to know absolutely nothing among you except for this one thing. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you, he says, in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul sounds like he felt a little inadequate sometimes. Fear, weakness, trembling. Paul sounds like he might have been a little clunky sometimes. And maybe you've been a little clunky dealing with people. It's not about your adequacy or your persuasive words or your eloquence or your personality, your education, your position in society, or your good looks. It's showing up and being a part of what, something that God has been doing before the creation of the world. Through the present time and into eternity. 
I've been pretty clunky at evangelism ever since I met Jesus. But I've learned a few things over the years. So I'm going to tell you a couple of bad Bob stories. First two years of being a Christian, 18, 20 years, 18 to 20 years old. Um, I tell you, I was very vocal, very bold, very awkward, very clunky. I seized every opportunity to, to try to convince people in my family to repent and believe. I talked to my old buddies in the rock bands that I played in, and they thought I was a little scary. I went to the park with a friend to find people to talk to about Jesus. And then I I got a job at the bike shop. I used to work on bicycles when I was a kid. And... Um, my boss, who is a 50-something-year-old man like I am now, and I was back here, I was like 18 years old. I just met Jesus. I was very excited and wanted to tell everybody about it. And I wanted, you know, I figured everybody that I work with will probably be saved within a few months. I mean, this is such a powerful thing, obviously. This is what's going to happen. I knew that was going to happen. It didn't happen. But my boss and I took a business trip to North Carolina to learn how to work on mopeds. Now, take the engine apart, put the engine back together, and all that stuff. And so we went to this seminar, and on the way back, I'm talking to him about Jesus. He's my captive audience. He's driving the car. I'm sitting there telling him about Jesus. And I'm not stopping. I mean, I just keep going on and on and on. Grace knows how I can go on and on and on. (laughs) I'm going on and on, and, and he's getting upset. And so he starts to tell me, Son, I've been a Sunday school teacher for years and years and years, and I don't need this stuff you're telling me. He said, I've served the church for all these years, and when I got to the part about his righteousness being worth filthy rags, he started really cussing. And he started cussing and speeding. And he's cussing and speeding and cussing and speeding until he gets the blue light special behind him and he gets pulled over and given a ticket. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. And so um, my relationship with him was not so good. Well, the next phase, I grow up a little bit. I'm about 20, 27 years old. I'm still shy, awkward, determined, and still very clunky, but God was showing me how I fit into his plan. Whenever we picked up somebody with car problems, uh, you know, we're driving down a dark road, and this is before the the age of cell phones. Like, you try to help somebody and say, I got it, I got the cell phone, you know. It's like, okay, fine. But, But before then, you know, nobody had cell phones, so you stop. You know, you see somebody in the car and, and you know that they were having problems, and you pick them up and take them where they got to go. So we would, uh, Grace and I would travel and pick up people. And Grace could always tell when I was starting to rev up. Okay, he's zoning in. He's zoning in for the kill. He's starting to really brace himself because he's really going to start the socket to him. There was something kind of artificial in the way that I went about it as if it didn't really come out of my life, like it was something I felt pressured to do. Now, God could have used my words because the gospel is that powerful. But I I didn't like me in the middle of that situation. And um, meanwhile, though, meanwhile, 
God was working through some natural relationships that Grace was forming at work. Um, She and I had gotten to know a guy whose wife had just left him, and in that crisis, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. God sent him to Grace and me, and we nurtured his newfound faith. And I remember saying to myself, yeah, this is evangelism. I might not have been the one to seal the deal with him coming across the line of faith, but we are nurturing this new baby in Christ. He's walking with Jesus today. We love him. And uh, I I remember feeling like, okay, God is using us in his life to get him started. We are being part of something bigger than us. And then another friend that Grace worked with started meeting with us, and in the course of time, she slipped into the kingdom. She came to Jesus Christ. And later, years later, when we moved to Georgia, and I, I um, was the pastor of this new little upstart church, uh, we were looking for an apartment. And I, I, I uh, had gotten to talk with this older woman who had the apartment complex, which was right across the yard from the church building where we were starting this church. And her name was Pauline. I'd been there several times and let her know that I'm the new pastor up on the hill and that we're trying to start a church, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, I get this message on my answering machine. You remember answering machines? And it said, Bob, please call me. I need to talk. Her brother had been murdered. And she didn't know what else to do but call me. And God was with me as I entered into the pain that she was experiencing, talked to her about the Lord. A week later, she says, Bob, I've got to tell you something. In my apartment, I knelt down on my knees and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm saved. And then she gave her testimony the following uh, Sunday at our church. Why am I telling you this? Because God is determined to save his people. And my involvement and your involvement is somehow part of that plan, even if we make multiple mistakes. You know, if you're talking to somebody about Jesus Christ and it all goes south, I'm going to tell you something that never happens. God never gets off his throne and says, Oh, how did that happen? Come on! You know, nobody can fix that. You've ruined that opportunity for life. That will never, ever happen. So pray and ask the Lord to send you opportunities and to give you eyes to see your part in the plan and to reveal to you how he's growing you as a kingdom builder. Second liberating truth. First liberating truth is you're part of a what? Plan. Second is you're part of a church. You're part of a church, right, Luke? Um, I want to read the Great Commission that has been given to the church. It's, it's, in, it's found in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And then, uh, this is a, um, an appearance of Jesus Christ after he was raised from the dead. And... Uh, And they meet together, the eleven disciples, starting at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples, there were twelve, but you know what happened to Judas, went to Galilee and to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, when Jesus spoke these words, in our English Bibles it is difficult for us to see because in the old King James Bible, you could tell the difference between you singular and you plural. We don't have a word for you plural except y'all. And that's who he's speaking to, not you singular. Now I have to fulfill the Great Commission all by myself as if I were just all by myself and, and, and had no help and had no church and had no other gifts and had no, you know, I just got to do this all by, you know, I got to do it myself. That's the way we, a lot of times we read the Great Commission and it just produces a tremendous amount of pressure and guilt. But he's saying, y'all, y'all, that's the original Greek. Americans tend to think individualistically, but it's the church that reaches people. It's the church, the people of God together that, that got the Great Commission. And even when you reach somebody by yourself, it's important to think of yourself as part of a team. Because it's the church that is the earthly destination for the people that you teach. And it's also the church that, whenever possible, needs to back you up in prayer. You are part of a team. And if you're part of a team, you know what, I, what else? Not everybody does the same thing. I'm part of a, I'm part of a band. And, uh, and, and so, suppose I decided that, that, um, that everybody needs to play saxophone. Suppose I decided everybody needs to play bass. Everybody needs to, no, we have a saxophone, we have a bass, we've got drums, we've got me on guitar, you know, and, um, and we've got keyboard. And everybody's doing something different. That's what teams do. And that's what we are as a church. We are an evangelistic team. You know, there's a ton of guilt right there off, just to know that we're not all called to do the same thing. There is a gift of evangelism. I know people, I have a buddy who's got the gift of evangelism. Before he was 30 years old, I talked to him and I said, Kevin, how many people you think have come to Jesus Christ as a result of your, of your ministry of the gospel? He said, conservatively? I said, yeah. He said, 500. I said, okay, he's got the gift of evangelism. I may have a passion for it, but I don't have a gift of it. So there are people who have the gift of evangelism. There are people who are confrontive. Uh, they, they can do it well. Um, and that's okay. But every one of us is part of the body of Christ. I am not confrontational by nature. I'm not like my friend who chased her friend across the football field. While, she, while her friend was going, I don't want to hear what you're saying, she was chasing her across the football field and said, I'm about to move across to half a world away. And before I go, you've got to repent and you've got to believe in Jesus Christ. I need to know that you are safe in the arms of Jesus before I go. Now, come on, let's do it. And you know what? 
Her friend repented and believed and is still a believer to this day. Now, not everybody's like that. How many of you have chased somebody across the football field and tell them about Jesus? You know, it's probably not real common. But some of you have, and God has used you. Okay, I'm not like that. But I'm the guy that maybe develops a relationship and says, I want to enter into your stuff. I want to enter into your pain. I want to hear what you have to say, and let's talk about Jesus. Can we talk? You know, call me. Some of you will be more comfortable just inviting your non-Christian friend to a worship service or to some other event here and, and see what God does. In this room, there are hundreds of relationships represented. And many people that you know are still outside of Christ. And you are the primary relational link between them and the gospel. And maybe your thing is just inviting them to something or introducing them to somebody or giving them something to read. You know, there's just a thousand ways to bring the gospel into somebody's life. Remember, we're a team. Not everybody does the same thing. Your part might be serving refreshments or babysitting or helping with parking at some evangelistic event. And that is doing evangelism, right? All I did was pour Kool-Aid. Not the Kool-Aid that, you know. But all I do is pour Kool-Aid. And that is evangelism. You know, all I did was help people park their cars for an evangelistic event. That is evangelism. Even if you are not the one speaking, you might be a deacon showing mercy in the name of Jesus. You might help out with only Christian school or after school program or young wives or Jesus Children's Fellowship or Celebrate Recovery. And you're part of a team bringing the gospel to bear on people's real lives. You're part of a church and you have a team. So the first thing is you're part of a plan. Secondly, you're part of a church. Okay, you start to feel a pressure lift. Thirdly, you're part of a process. Evangelism is not always closing the deal. It's being faithful to plant and water and sometimes reap. These are, these are agricultural analogies here. He talks about planting and watering and reaping. You see, he's not talking about anything that is mechanical. See, a mechanical way of looking at life is, I put 75 cents in the machine, and I get a Dr. Pepper, unless the machine is broken. That's a mechanical way of looking at life. But evangelism is agricultural. You plant seeds. You put water on those seeds. And sometimes you get to reap a harvest. Um, listen to 1 Corinthians, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul is a little unnerved how people are dividing in the, uh, in, the, in the Corinthian church. You know, some go after Apollos and some go after Paul, some go after Peter. And he says, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, says Paul. Apollos watered it, God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You never know what part of the process that you might be working on, but you can trust God to be at work long before you even ever got to meet your friend. You're part of a process. You might... 
You know, if you always think of evangelism as closing the deal, you're going to feel like a failure. No matter how many people you've seen come to Christ, there's always that one that got away, right? You know? If you're in sales, sure. But this isn't sales. This is love. You always think about that one that got away. But if you think of evangelism as sowing the seed, watering, part of faith working itself out in love, you're not approaching people with an agenda of something they must do. But if your non-Christian friend has a question in the back of his mind, if I never become a Christian, will you care for me? Will you still be my friend? Will you love me tomorrow? And your answer needs to be absolutely yes. Because you're coming without an agenda. You know what that does? That takes more pressure off. I almost despaired when I thought, man, you know, I haven't seen a lot of people get saved. And, uh, you know, this church that I was pastor at down in Georgia, I went back to visit a few years later. And a friend of mine from that church said, you see this whole row full of people? They all belong to one family. And those are the people that you visited while you were here. Now, the interesting thing about that is when I visited, she said, can you go visit this family? I think, I think they would, you know, I think they might respond to you. So I went and visited them, and we talked about the Lord, and I left their house feeling like, oh, that was a waste. That didn't go anywhere. They're not interested in the word I said. And I come back years later, and that whole family has taken up a row of seats, worshiping the Lord Jesus. Only God, only God can do this kind of thing. And you are part of a plan. You are part of a church, and you are part of a process in seeing these things happen. God loves to save his people, but he really loves to do it through his people. He loves to see you be part of the joy of seeing that happen in people's lives. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and who knows who came along later and watered that seed that I planted or I might have watered the seed that somebody else planted. Who knows who have gotten the opportunity to reap what was sown. And sometimes evangelism is just helping somebody get one step closer to Jesus Christ. There's this thing that uh, came out in the 80s called the Engel Scale, which I really felt found kind of uh, helpful to me. And he says something like this, that, that there are people that, that could be like negative 10, never heard of Jesus. Negative 8, I've heard of Jesus, but I don't know what to do about it. Um, maybe like negative 5, all Christians are scary and evil. Uh, negative 3, I just got loved by a follower of Jesus. Negative 2, I want what that Christian's got. Negative 1, I want Jesus. Do you know what I mean? You could be, you could be the first loving relationship in a person's life who felt that all Christians were scary and evil and manipulative and weird. And maybe you just loved that person. And that person got that much closer and had to, had to ditch his or her um, prejudices about what Christians are like. 
So pray. Pray for discernment and sensitivity to your part in the process. God is working. He's just part of the process. Okay? Fourth, you are surrounded by promises. You are part of a plan, you're part of a church, you're part of a process, and you are surrounded by promises. And I'm just going to read these promises from the Word of God. Just let them wash over you. Jesus says, I will be with you in this, even to the end of the age. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and then to the Greek. God was well pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Galatians 6, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Revelation 7, the vision. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and every language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, all for the glory of God. So with these promises in mind, I want to challenge you very quickly to pray a prayer that I stole from a guy named Ron Hutchcraft. Ron Hutchcraft is a guy with a chalky voice who, I think he drinks like three cups of coffee before he gets on the radio and does this quick thing, and it's always very helpful. But he says, he wants he starts each day with a three-open prayer, and it goes something like this, and there's scriptures. Open a, Lord, open a door for the gospel. Open a door for the gospel. 2 Corinthians 2. Now, when I came to Troas, says Paul, to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, Colossians 4, 3, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Open a door for the gospel. Second, open. Lord, open the hearts of the people that I talk to. Acts chapter 16, 14, one of those listening to the message that was being preached by the apostles was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Lord, open the hearts of people that I come in contact with today. And three, open my mouth. Acts chapter 4.29 The apostles who had just gotten persecuted for talking about Jesus are praying, and they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And Psalm 51, King David, in repenting of his sin, says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praises. Open my mouth. Open a door for the gospel. Open the hearts of the people and open my mouth. You could just pray that. You know, you wake up tomorrow morning, and you're going to go to your job, and uh, and you're going to see people. You're going to see all kinds of people. You know, you're going to see folks that that, um, uh, that 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 you may have feel like you have absolutely nothing in common with, except that here you are serving them with your job. And uh, and and you can you can pray that prayer. Open a door for the gospel. Open the hearts of those that I talk to, and open my mouth to speak the word of God. And I want to ask you, has the Lord opened your heart to the
gospel. Do you know for sure, yourself, as you sit there, that if, um, like if a, you know, if a bomb went off or something and, and we all died, do you know for sure that you would be welcomed by God? Do you know for sure that you're right with God, that you and your creator are okay with each other on his terms? Do you know that for sure? Jesus said that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father, but through me. And the positive aspect of that is that you can come to the Father through Jesus Christ. He has paid for all of your sins with his precious blood. And he has died and risen again to set you free from the tyranny of the devil and from the tyranny of your own sin. And you don't have to, you, you, you can go to bed with a clean conscience tonight, completely clean conscience tonight, if you know that you are in Christ, that your righteousness is Christ's righteousness, that you, that you have been joined to Christ, that you're in union with Christ, that you're his. So if you know that, great. If you don't know that, we've got people that can pray with you. And they're not going to pressure you because they know that the pressure's off. They're not going to pressure you. But you know what they'll do? They'll listen to your heart and point you to Jesus Christ. So at this time, can we just have the prayer team come up? Do we have a prayer team? Or come on up. And um, Ben, could you play some music? I should have told you that before. You're so good at it. Sit down and do it. Um, I just want to encourage you to, to pray. Any, you know, and it, not necessarily, I mean, some of you maybe may want to pray for conversion, for your own conversion. You may want to pray for the conversion of somebody that you love. You want to, you want to see them become part of that plan. And you, want, you may want to pray for something else that you're going through in your life. Something, some hardship, some difficulty where you that just makes you cry out to God. So uh, just take some time, and I'll I'm gonna sit back there and pray for you.